This is uh, Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another uh, edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, careers, uh, new uh, science, and even sometimes a little glimpse of the future. And today I'm here with maybe our smartest uh, portfolio company CEO, certainly the one I have uh, a lot of fun uh, talking about arcane things with Dmitry uh, Sogolov of uh, Horton Point. You're too kind, Mike. Thank you. Oh, it's great to have you here. So um, for starters, uh, because uh, what you do here is uh, a little different from what uh, many of our portfolio companies uh, do, uh, why don't we start just by having you describe what it is Horton Point started out planning to do, what it's doing now, and what you think it uh, uh, it might be doing in the months and weeks ahead. Sure. So uh, Horton Point was uh, started uh, about 13 years ago, essentially as a private investment company uh, for my own family, uh, from which uh, we could make uh, effective investments within the private investment world, alternative investments, hedge funds, private deals, private equity, and so on and so forth. So this was our original premise. Uh, we uh, continue to do that, and that's really our core expertise. And uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about you. So your background is in hedge funds and hedge fund-related things, and uh, you started, uh, well, I'm not sure if you started your career in the Ukraine, but you started your life in the Ukraine. So how did you get from there to here, mm. and how did you get from there to head funds to doing... Uh, <laughs> in a very circuitous way. <laughs> right, so you're right. I was born in um, one of the largest uh, cities in the Ukraine, Kharkov, and uh, came here in 1980, so quite a bit ago with my parents. Uh, I went to college here um, in the States as well as to the graduate to graduate school. Um, I'm an engineer, so my background isn't necessarily, uh, you know, hasn't originated from investment world. Uh, I'm an engineer by training and my first job was an engineer. So, uh, uh, so walk me through the steps. So you're an engineer originally from the Ukraine coming out of school here and uh, 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 how did you get involved in this world? Because you did have a hedge fund of your own oh, at yes. one point, didn't oh, yes. you? Absolutely. So work, having worked as an engineer for a few years uh, out of uh, school, I realized that my real interest and my hobby, and now keep in mind, this is mid-80s. So markets were a little bit different back then. Um, uh, and my interests were really in, um, in financial markets. I was reading uh, Wall Street Journal. It, uh, there were a number, I mean, there was, everything was manual back then. Everything was, not, none of it was digital, right? Everything was analog. So I was reading a lot of papers, a lot of uh, uh, stock tables, uh, and just learning as much as I could on my own, and then ultimately realized that I needed to get some education. Uh, you, you can only go so far on your own. So I went back to school, got my graduate degree in finance, and ended up in smack in the middle of a uh, first uh, crash that I've experienced was literally three months after I joined. This was 1987. And October, October of 1987, I was in London on the trading desk as a junior trader. And of course, uh, everything happened at once. It was a great learning experience for me. I uh, I remember that 
literally that day, uh, uh, I was in a conference at MIT that day, a computer conference. And again, as you say, the world was very different back then. And this was, you know, sort of the mini computer folks meet the PC folks meet Wall Street kind of conference. And there must have been a thousand people in the room. I can't remember who it was, Nicholas Negroponte or somebody mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was opining. And there was this rustle, this vibration from the back of the room that kind of rolled forward and people were, they didn't look down at their cell phones. They didn't have cell phones. Right. Then. Funny that um, no one looked at, at their iPhones yeah. at, at the time, right? <laughs> but it was getting through anyway and people began sort of sliding out of the room and uh, uh, it was the eeriest feeling, something clearly terrible uh, was happening outside of that room. Yes, indeed. And it was a great learning experience for me. I was smack in the middle of this with the people who actually knew what they were doing, going crazy. And uh, I was just an observer. This was my third month on the job. But it was a great first experience. Um, in uh, about four years after that, I did start my own hedge fund. Uh, again, knowing very little about what hedge funds do other than they try to make money basically regardless of what the underlying market conditions are. Uh, this was a very young industry back in the early 90s. Uh, we were one of the first ones. And uh, as a result, we, if you get into the right industry at the right time, you start gr growing really fast which is what happened to us. So it's probably as much luck as it was hard work, maybe a little more hard work than luck, but still a pretty big mix of luck in there. And uh, we grew up to be a multi-billion dollar firm, uh, which uh, we ran for, uh, or uh, I was there for about 15 years as the president and co-founder. And so um, having done that, uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about just what you're doing now. So you're essentially trying to remake uh, uh, aspects of the business uh, uh, you came from. Yeah, so look, I mean, for an entrepreneur to be successful, and this is not my first um, uh, you know, project, um, uh, be, being an entrepreneur, I, I'm deeply convinced that you have to have at least two things. You have to have a deep expertise in a subject matter uh, that, that you're trying to address. And also you have to have the right DNA to be the entrepreneur because all of us experts, uh, who, who, whatever the field we, uh, we pursue, we, uh, those of us who are experts, we clearly can identify problems within that field, but not a lot of, a lot of people are willing to take the risk to address those problems. So uh, I think this is a combination that you know, we have here at Horton Point. And this is not just myself, but the entire team. So we are deep experts in one relatively narrow investment field, which encompasses alternative investments, right? So these are all private investments of all, of all types. Um, and this continues to be, surprisingly, one of the least efficient parts of the investment universe. If you can picture a brightly lit room with everything visible and everything kind of apparent and easily understood, there is one little dark corner where there is virtually no information available. Everybody's left to their own devices. Uh, as a result, we have these blow-ups, we, we have these fraud situations because, again, uh, this is a very opaque uh, part of the marketplace, and it's not small anymore. It's it's well over ten trillion dollars if you if you combine all hedge funds and private deals and private equity funds and VCs. It's multi-trillion dollar business, which continues to be run in exactly the same way as it was run fifty years ago. Right.
Well, we've talked about this and I think our very first meetings that uh, uh, in our little corner, our early stage venture capital, I am amazed and uh, we have set up our fund in response to the fact that so many of the venture funds do operate just like they did in the late 70s and early 80s when technology was totally different, the world was totally different, and there were hardly any startups and doing everything cost tremendous amounts of money and took forever. Uh, and now uh, none of that is true and the business still runs essentially exactly the same as it did back then. And we're trying to operate in a very different way. And I think that is one of the things that uh, I felt when I first met you is yeah, everything you say in the broader context of alternative investments is true, uh, is true for us and uh, uh, is ripe for change and in our view should be changed. Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, we're trying to bring our own little tiny spotlights into this dark corner of the uh, investment universe uh, with uh, a couple of different um, technology assets. Uh, we're hoping that this is going to really benefit the entire ecosystem, right? You cannot be a successful entrepreneur if you're in it for the money. I mean, that that is, is a secondary benefit. The primary benefit is you need to understand the problem, number one, and number two, want to solve the problem. And if that problem generates some economic benefit, fantastic. We say that um, in our funds a lot, that uh, the money is an effect, not a cause. And when we find entrepreneurs who say, I'm here to get rich, they're highly unlikely to get rich. When we find entrepreneurs who are uh, uh, completely obsessed with the problem at hand or uh, in love with the opportunity at hand, that passion uh, may produce uh, riches. But even if it doesn't produce all the riches one might hope for, it produces uh, value and a rather uh, uh, fascinating and engrossing and joyous experience uh, for the team. Well, and also painful and also <laughs> a lot of uh, headaches and uh, sleepless nights and all of that. Right? Oh, yeah, so there's that, too. There's that. Too. <laughs> that's part of the, of the game. So um, uh, uh, tell me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but sometimes when I describe what you do, I say you're trying to bring truth to uh, uh, or clarity to alternative uh, assets, that there are folks on one side who have things they need to offer, and there are folks on the other side who have a need to buy, and uh, neither side knows much about the other, and neither side can figure out the truth, which is the inefficiency you're talking about, and you're trying to help folks actually find the truth. Well, that's that's exactly the problem, Mike. You 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 got it exactly right. Think about the um, retail world pre-Amazon, right? Uh, so you had a whole bunch of similar products at different prices from different uh, producers, and a whole bunch of uh, consumers who had no idea how to effectively or efficiently access those products. So there was really no price comparison, no quality comparison per se, uh, or if, if there was, then on a very limited basis. Come Amazon and everything changed, right? So I'm not saying that we're building an Amazon for alternative investments, but the idea is exactly the same. Just like any other marketplace, this is uh, an ecosystem of two sides. There's a product and there's a customer. Right now, 
this being a very opaque uh, marketplace, products do not know how to find customers and customers have no idea how to find the product that fits their needs best. It's lack of information, lack of access, uh, lack of transparency, uh, and all of that can be solved with, you know, relatively easily with uh, technology tools uh, as long as you find the right tool in your toolbox uh, and the right expertise. So we were talking before about your feeling that for the kinds of things uh, we're discussing here, blockchain actually is the right tool at least the rightest tool right now. So uh, talk about that some, why blockchain? And maybe help folks that may not be in this world understand how technology might help the buyers on the one side and the sellers on the other uh, more uh, efficiently and effectively get together. Well, le 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 let's be clear about one thing, Mike. So I'm not a blockchain guru, nor are we deep believers that blockchain is going to save the world and nothing else will. Blockchain, as you said, is just one of many tools that are available to us to solve various problems. So we're actually solving uh, the problem that I generally described as uh, kind of highlighting some of the darker corners, uh, darker informational corners of the of the market. Uh, we're solving it with both blockchain as well as centralized tools. For example, I think that creating a marketplace, a transparent marketplace uh, in, a, in the style of Amazon may not require a blockchain technology. Look at Amazon, they, they did it perfectly well with fully centralized platform and everybody has done quite well. And then they turned the fully centralized platform into a business that made more money than the other businesses. Than, and Than God, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, that was the right tool for, for the job. And in fact, we're, we're building an Amazon-like marketplace uh, for alternative investments where customers being investors can find the, exactly the right product with the right tools. And the product can be in front of the right customers at the right time uh, without having to guess uh, or to blindly market to, to some random people. That's a centralized platform, and uh, this is one of the technology businesses that we are, we are developing, which is essentially an Amazon-like technology. There is no blockchain component to it at all. However, when it comes to exchange of proprietary information, amongst participants, uh, not just a uh, kind of binary exchange between the product and the uh, customer, which fits well into a centralized model. But think about what if customers want to interact amongst, their, you know, amongst themselves and not in a random way like all of these you know, reviews at Amazon or Yelp, where you have no control over quality, but in some, in some uh, more transparent, more compliant, which is important, and more trustworthy fashion. So when you're purchasing something from another peer, you can be comfortable that that work product actually has quality and not just some random opinion. That's where blockchain really, really produces some uh, unique results. And, and we think that that's the right technology for that type of process. So. Uh an example might be, here's a write-up on a PE firm, and there it is. But the 
particular write-up might be from a former Fed chairman or from the biggest bank in Europe or from uh, a family office that's just like your family office. And the characteristics and background and all of the attributes that go into that report uh, uh, change its market value. It's uh, perhaps for you or in general. Uh, again, uh, am I characterizing this uh, Right, and that's the kind of thing. You're absolutely right. And we had this crazy idea uh, only very recently, uh, maybe about a year ago, and we approached a few financial institutions, uh, large financial institutions with this thought, um, and received, very surprisingly, received an immediate, instant positive reaction. Essentially, they raised their hand right away and, and asked us, where do we sign up? Of course, we didn't even have a product for them to use. So as a result, they said, we'd love to develop it together with you. And this is what we're working on. So in short, you're right. Uh, what you want to be able to do is obtain high quality opinion about a potential investment from a trustworthy source. Uh, there are thousands of investors out there, if you don't know who that opinion belongs to, you may not necessarily put a lot of value in it. And of course, many institutional investors would never uh, disclose their opinions or at least the fact that that opinion belongs to them, to the outside world. At the same time, every institution in the world sees value in actually obtaining an opinion of many as opposed to an opinion of one. So we're solving that dilemma. How do you exchange safely uh, opinions of experts without subjecting them to liability, without subjecting them to questionable trust and things like that? That's, that's the project. Right. So basically, extracting and reflecting the source and value without exposing the source and uh, to some degree, because if you're, oh, I don't know, the sovereign wealth fund of Singapore, you don't necessarily want everybody knowing what you have to say with you identified as the source, but the characteristics of uh, modernity and uh, active economics and deep understanding that go with being who you are uh, uh, could travel with the information without directly exposing you and, and vice versa, or again, do it in the aggregate where groups of how broadly held is this uh, view, this particular fact and that kind of thing, make it possible to go in and essentially order up the kind of information and truth you need to make your decision and feel like that's actually what you're getting back, which is where the blockchain comes in. Look, groupthink in investment is perhaps the most prevalent and the most dangerous aspect of, uh, of investment decisions across the board. And this is a problem of both small investors as well as large institutional investors. With small investors, obviously, a really unfortunate, unfortunately good example is that of Bernie Madoff, where 95% or 99% of investors just thought exactly the same thing because they spoke to each other or they spoke to Bernie and, and decided this is a good thing. One or two guys raised their hands and said, this is, this is really, this doesn't make any sense. If this opinion was visible on the chain to everyone, we would probably have significantly less pain uh, in that event. More recently, institutional hedge funds and private equity fund blow-ups, and uh, I'm not going to mention names, but uh, but there was a recent blow-up of, of a 
you know, massive multi-billion dollar private equity firm with uh, apparently uh, fraud inside, where every large institutional investor had exposure. When um, the investigation concluded, it, it became apparent that they all relied on an opinion of a single consultant, and they all followed that consultant to make an investment. So groupthink continues to be uh, very prevalent, and it's a problem. Now, clearly, what we are saying is that opinion of many is always better than an opinion of one, and blockchain enables us to filter out those many uh, from uh, the quality perspective and uh, from the type of information they're willing to share so that every user of this uh, exchange of this due diligence exchange, as we call it, uh, can benefit from from the same access to the same information or the same opinions of many people. Right. So distributed, uh, uh, anonymous, or at least semi-anonymous, uh, trusted, and this is the sort of words that lead back to blockchain. If you're trying to create, you don't know who's going in, you don't know who's pulling out, but you want there to be high trust going in of the use and access. You want there to be high trust coming out of the source and value uh, and uh, not have fingers being pointed and too bright a light. Uh, blockchain uh, seems quite appropriate for that. No, absolutely. And as much as we ourselves internally, uh, my team, we were all pretty skeptical that this would actually receive positive uh, acceptance uh, from institutional investors every one of which, as we know, tries to hold their cards pretty close to, the, to, to, to their chest. Now, um, we had an instant reaction from every head of due diligence, every research person that we spoke to at large institutions, that this is exactly what's missing in their work. Is This does not eliminate what they do. This simply adds value to, to the ultimate decision process. It either confirms their research or maybe it gives them answers to the questions that they, they didn't even know to ask. So it really enhances the entire um, uh, you know, process uh, for, the, for the ecosystem, particularly for, small, for the smaller investors who may not even have the ability to do the right due diligence to begin with. And in fact, uh, the way it is now, essentially everyone has to redo everything. So in science, scientists learn from the previous experiment, they can extend, they don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, folks that don't do this for a living may not realize that every firm, uh, every venture firm, every PE firm, right now essentially has to do everything. They have to ask every question, they have to look at every document, they have to redo the entire process end to end uh, uh, to be, uh, to get to a point where they're actually comfortable uh, making a decision. And that, that takes us back to our, to the beginning of our conversation, which is we all do this the way that this process was done 50 years ago. We all basically repeat the process over and over again. So if, uh, I mean, we are LPs uh, as well, we're active investors. So we know how, you know, investors make their uh, their investment decisions and what happens during the due diligence. So if uh, you, Mike, and we are looking at the same potential investment and we don't know about each other and we don't talk, we're going to, likely we're going to re repeat 90% of the same process so we're going to do it twice and we're going to pay for it twice. And then God knows what you have missed that I picked up and what I missed that you picked up. And wouldn't it be a lot more efficient for us to actually know about each other uh, 
And I don't know, I don't need to know your name or, or exactly whether you're going to end up investing or not. But I'd love to get your opinion, as I'm sure you would like to get ours. And that's precisely the problem that, that continues to happen and that we're trying to solve. Yeah, and exactly. An example I sometimes give in the venture context is imagine here are 1,500 strangers. 1,500 strangers are looking at the record of some company that we are interested in. Is that valuable? Well, each and every one of them is a PhD in a core science. So now it is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and if that were possible, and there actually are some funds, we among them, experimenting with how to do that. So if, if everyone on earth who is an expert in that particular area of science is standing alongside us as we decide uh, its value, we're massively enhanced. And in a way, so are they, because they're at the edge, they're learning more, they're contributing more. And in some cases, they may decide to co-invest, which they never would have been aware of if they hadn't been exposed in this way, and they wouldn't be able to do on their own, uh, but might be able to in some kind of networked uh, fund. It's basically, it's building an, a intelligent uh, expert system. Right, where experts are distributed. They may not know about each other, but they know that they're all experts and they all contribute equally, or maybe not so equally, but in different, in various parts, to the same knowledge base, and then drawing on that knowledge base in, uh, in, e with equal access. So folks that are curious listening to us talk, when might uh, they uh, read about this in the Wall Street Journal or, or see it or be able to participate in it or uh, uh, actually see it in action? <laughs> well, Michael, not we have, to put you on the spot. No, or right, right. We have a major mountain to climb. We are literally trying to uh, upend uh, the entire investment process when it comes to making investment decisions within private uh, companies or you know uh, hedge funds uh, alternative investments in general as you can imagine it's a massive undertaking we're staging this process so we don't uh, kind of leave the gates running and then uh, fall in in the first 10 yards and then uh, and then find out that we did something wrong so it's a multi-stage process in the first stage we're actually developing the uh, infrastructure for the uh, for this exchange right now and we as I may have mentioned we invited a number of large financial institutions uh, to help us with that those financial institutions are going to be the first beta users of this so we don't want to uh, make it available to everyone before it's battle tested by professionals, by people who do this day in and day out, and by people whose job it is uh, really to uh, generate the best quality due diligence. That process, again, you're not putting me on the spot, I'm putting myself on the spot. We have kind of our internal deadlines. We are hopeful that by the end of the year with the right funding and uh, obviously with the right uh, commitment from our technology team, uh, that by the end of the year, we will roll that beta out. It's, it's not going to be widely available, but it's, it's going to become available for testing by these large financial institutions. Depending on how much uh, grief they give us and how many bugs and everything else we find once this is rolled out, um, we may make it uh, available to a wider audience sometime in the second quarter of next year. Got it. Well, 
we both know about software. It will take what it takes. You got but, it. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, as you say, uh, uh, this could change uh, all of the core fundamentals about how uh, professional investors, including investors like us, make the decisions they make. And that feels to us like a change that is uh, long overdue and can't wait to see what the outcome is here. Yeah, same here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, we, as we've had uh, happen many times, we could sit here and talk about this all afternoon and well into the night, but we should wrap and uh, we'll come back in a few more months and we'll see where things stand then. Mm -hmm.